everybody. How's everyone doing all right? Shh. I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, just give me a wave. Let me know you're still with us. Uh, yeah. Good morning. It's so nice to see family. <laughs> see everybody here. Um, I trust that so far you've been able to see or hear some of um, our talks in the in the book of James. Um, and hopefully some of you have been challenged, if not all of you, by the subjects that we've been looking at. Uh, James does a really good job of kind of getting into our business. He's a bit of a nosy parker, really. Um, like last week, you know, Phil was talking about not discriminating, not judging people by their appearance, about how we treat those who are seen as the least in society um, and how we treat those who are seen as the best in society um, and how Jesus is challenging us as his followers um, to, to be different from the world around us. So uh, we've got a lot to get through this morning, so I'm not going to lie to you, um, but I'm going to jump right in for that reason. And I really hope that as we go through this morning that you feel a real sense of challenge and you're ready for kind of James to punch you in the gut as he does. Um, I feel like I've been punched in the gut this week. Um, so hopefully you're going to get a punch, just, just like a, a spiritual one, right? Like not a physical one. Um, so why don't you open your Bibles, James 2, 14 to 26, James 2, 14. Um, open up your apps, your smart devices, lots of people's faces lighting up out there all of a sudden. Um, but just uh, James 2, I'm going to pray real quick and then we're going to read through it together. Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that as a church, we can come together and we can open up your word. But Lord, I just pray that as we, as we open this up together, as we, as we talk it through, as we reflect on what it is that you're saying to us, Lord, would we have open hearts? You know, we sang right at the beginning, Lord, help that not to be, you know, just, just false words. But Lord, we want to say it and mean it. Open the eyes of my heart. Let me hear what you have to say. Let me see what you have to say to me this morning, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay, so James 2, 14 to 26 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my, my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you, not, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith... And his actions were working together. And his, and his faith made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. As he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. We're touching on some nerves here. I can sense it already. We're going to get to it, don't worry. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in, diff in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds 
is dead. So the title of my talk this morning is Faith at Work. And it's a great passage. It's like an incredible passage. I've got the privilege of speaking on this morning. It's almost, um, this section is almost like James's whole thesis of, it, of what he wants to say to us in this short passage. It's almost like everything before this passage is like an arrow pointing towards what he's going to get to here. And everything afterwards is almost like a reminder of what he said and based on what he said here. Um, and you know what? I'm just looking forward to getting into this. So he starts off with these two um, rhetorical questions. Right at the beginning of what he says, he says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? James's question is almost like asking us, what good is it carrying around a driver's license in your, in your wallet or in your purse if you can't actually drive? Um, as Christians, we can claim to be part of the faith, but do we actually have proof? Do we, do we show it? Do, do we show to others around us that our faith is authentic? Um, I think also at some point, everybody's met somebody who um, you've maybe come across and you get to know them a little bit. You get to know who they are, what they're like. And then at some point, you can find out that somebody is a believer, like a Christian, and it can shock you. Has anybody ever heard that? I, I met this guy... Um, over the last four years, I've, I've had the opportunity to play um, football with a lot of, I almost said soccer then, oh, blow me over, right? I, I, I've been um, playing football with quite a lot of people, a lot of groups, a lot of different groups, different times, all that sort of thing. And there was this one particular group, uh, and there was this one particular guy in this group, and um, oh man, he was the worst. Like, whenever you play sport at like a certain level, like, you know, like all the casual players have kind of dropped off, but the really committed people are still there. You, you come across, it doesn't matter what sport you play, anybody who's played any sort of sport will know what I'm talking about. You come across somebody who has to win. Like, absolutely, there is nothing else on their agenda tonight other than I'm going to win this game. Whatever it is, you could be playing Monopoly, you could be playing chess, you could be playing football, they have to win above all else. And there was this one guy... And he was just an absolute nightmare. The others would constantly complain about him, like they couldn't stand him. Uh, these weren't Christians I was playing with. This just one guy in this group, they absolutely couldn't stand him. He would constantly cheat. He would foul people all the time. He would lie. I remember this one time. Um, I'm, like, I'm like an attacking player, and my team, someone crosses in the ball, and the ball hits off somebody's head about 10 yards in front of me and loops over, and I'm still about two yards from this guy who's on the opposite team. He's defending, I'm attacking. And we're in, his, in their box, and the ball hits his hand and drops to the ground, and he just kicks it away, right? And everybody goes, handball, handball. Like everybody on my team is going, handball, handball, penalty. And the way that we played is that, you know, like we had no referees. So you, you know what, everybody's out, everybody's just out for a bit of fun. You know, you just call your own fouls. If you kick somebody in the shin, you, you know, you'd say, oh, sorry, buddy, foul. Like, you know, foul here, set ball. You know, you just call it because we're just normal people. If the ball went out on the sidelines, you'd call it. And this ball clearly, as clear as I've ever seen, just hits him on the hand, he controls it, goes to the ground, he hits it away and he goes, didn't touch me, didn't touch my hand. And everybody on, the, on our team, everybody in his team was just embarrassed to say, oh no, he's just, he's like, no, no foul, no penalty. He just 
couldn't face the fact that he might lose. He just can't do it. And he was terrible with people. He would swear at people. He was constantly shouting at people if they made a mistake. Like nobody wanted to be on his team. People would show up and like you'd just bring like you'd be wearing a, like one color or the other color, like red or white. And if, and if anybody saw that he was like wearing red, everybody would dip into the bag and put on a white just so they didn't have to be on his team, right? And um, I think you know where this is going. So so Good Friday, every year in Owen Sound, we have this huge um, churches together service every Good Friday. It's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. We had to get this big venue and all these churches come together and celebrate. It was amazing. And this one year I'm asked to speak and uh, I'm stood there talking and halfway through my talk, I look up and I'm like, I'm not going to tell you his name. I'm like, that's there's that guy from, from football. I'm like, what's he doing here? And I'm like, I bet he was swearing in the car all the way here. I bet someone's dragged him here because it's Easter weekend. I bet he's really cross with his wife or somebody, you know, for bringing him here. And uh, after the meeting, I, I got talking to him. I said, hey, how, how are you doing? You all right? And I said, what, what are you doing here? He said, he said oh, I'm, I go to so-and-so church. I'm one of the leaders there. I'm like, oh, are you really? <laughs> and it, Honestly, when I picked my jaw off the ground, I just, I felt like saying, well, you hit that well. You know, like, oh yeah, I'm a believer. Like, I go to that, ch- you know, I'm a le- part of the leadership. I thought, wow. But this was a guy who before anything else, he had to win. Before he could love people, he had to win. Have you ever met somebody like that? Don't say me, because I'll be cross. You're just saying, yeah, it was you. <laughs> um, now, don't you what I'm not saying here. Everybody at times has a hard time in sharing their faith in this outward way. Like I think back to when I was a teenager and like being able to share my faith outwardly and openly, like in my family, I was laughed at all the time. Like even just, just you know, at school, the peer pressure of like saying to people, oh yeah, like I'm a follower of Jesus. Like, whoa, like you better get ready to have some stuff thrown at you, right? Like, and even just in the workplace, think about, how we don't grow out of that. It's quite hard to share our faith, to share, you know, who we follow, what we believe. It can be really difficult to do that, to share our faith in an outward way. And I'm not just talking about peer pressure either. Sometimes we can feel completely exhausted. Like parents out there, people who work hard, work shift work, it can be really, really hard to have energy left to outwork our faith in this, in this practical way, right? Anybody saying amen out there? Um, like, it can be really difficult. And just think about the people that feel inadequate in the room. Like, God can't really use me because of I did this in the past. And if people knew the real me, then God wouldn't be able to use me. Or, or actually, I can't, God can't use me because there's so many people that are better at the, than that stuff than I am. It can be really, really hard to work out our faith in a practical way, in a practical way. But the challenge for us all in this um, is what James is really talking about. He's not talking about the times where we fail, the times where we sin, where we put other things before God. He's actually talking about genuine faith brings action. It brings action. He's almost talking into that culture. We talk about it like Sunday morning Christianity. Anybody said, oh, Sunday morning Christian, right? Like we have that sort of phrase, but we know what it means. It's, It's the people that live a completely different life in the week from what they believe on a Sunday. And we all do that at times. It can be really difficult. But the challenge here from James 
is that actually what we believe should change the way that we act, change the way that we care, change the way that we love, change the way that we speak. Matthew 7, this scripture sends shivers down my spine every time I read it. Matthew 7, 21. It says, not not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name? Did we not perform many miracles? Then I will say, say to them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Jesus is saying that not all who claim to be his disciples actually truly follow me or do my work. And Jesus is clear about how we can spot his disciples. What does he say? Anybody? By their love, their love for one another. It's how you spot my disciples, by their love for one another. Jesus makes it really clear time and time again to truly follow him. There are things that he's calling us to do to be ambassadors for his kingdom, to bring heaven to earth. And this is what James is trying to, to explain to all believers. So I just want to pull a couple of things out. First of all, genuine faith, it is not indifferent, but it's involved. And James gives us this picture. He says, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And I want you to think about this picture that James is trying to really make clear for us. You know, Paul talks about, in one of his letters, he talks about how the fact that, you know, if we have food and shelter, he says, like, we can be content with that. He he talks about, like, what sort of level of contentment we should be looking for as believers. Like, if we have food, if we have something to eat, we have somewhere to sleep, like, generally that we can be content. And he's almost like saying, like, hey, there's things in your life that you're just never going to get. Like, you, you might never get that car. You might never get that job. You might never get the things that you always wish that you had because you see other people with them. But if you have food and shelter, you can be content with that because Jesus has everything for you. But these are genuine, physical, human needs that we need. We need food, otherwise we starve. We need somewhere to sleep, otherwise we get hypothermia, right? Like he's saying, if we've got food and shelter, we can be content with that. But what James is saying here is that he's talking about people who don't even have the basics, don't even have those basic needs to survive. And that's who James is talking about. And there's so many people even today in our rich, vastly rich country that have to make do without the basic needs, who are choosing whether to feed themselves or to feed their children, choosing whether or not to buy some shoes so that their feet don't get blisters or to actually feed themselves that week. There are people who are still choosing whether to sleep underneath the bush shelter tonight or behind the bins behind the shop. There are still people around us that we engage with and see on a daily basis that still have to make those decisions for for whether it's their fault that they ended up there or whether it's somebody else's fault. They're still making those decisions. A a, um, a couple of weeks ago, um, sorry, a couple of months ago, around Christmas time, I I was going to get a haircut and um, I can't tell you where it was really or who it was, but I, I met a guy selling the big issue and I meet this guy and um, 
<clears throat> and I'm walking past and, you know, the normal interaction, like he's, he's wanting to sell me a big issue. And, and, I, and I, I don't know about you, like I never have money with me anymore. Like anybody ever have money in the pockets anymore? Like it's all on card now, isn't it? And I just didn't have any cash. I said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just going to go and get a haircut. I tell you what, when I come back, if you want, we can go, like, I can get you some food, you know. Like, it'd be good to just grab, grab you some food. I can pay for that on my cards. And he said, oh, okay. And he, he's Romanian. He doesn't speak English, like, at all. Really struggled. Everything I said to him is through Google Translate, you know, the app on your phone. So I go and get a haircut. I come back and we go in and buy him some food. And he grabs, you know, he has a couple of bags of food. It's pretty much all he can carry because he, you know, he's got to carry it home when he, when he leaves. And he stays there and he carries on selling his big shoes. And I say, you know, goodbye to him. It's really difficult to talk to him because of the lack of communication. Anyway, a couple of months later, I go back and I see him again. And I'm like, oh, hey, like, good to see you again. And I'm talking to him buy him a sandwich and, and, I, and I buy a big issue and then I write down the address for King's, King's Church on it and I say come every week and we've got a food bank and you can get food every week we can keep feeding you and he says okay I've got an English friend a friend who speaks English you can help me find it so I leave him to it I don't see him it doesn't come a couple of weeks ago I went to get a haircut again because the world started again and he's there hey how are you doing Got chatting to him. I said, you didn't come to King's. You didn't come and get some food. He said, no, I, I didn't know where it was. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to go there now. Do you want to you come with me? You can get some food. So he says, oh, okay. So he gets in my car and he's Romanian. And on the way, I'm thinking, ah, oh, my friend David, David speaks Romanian. He's Romanian. So I call him on the phone and we're having this three-way conversation in the car, me and this guy. So David explains to him properly who I am. Like I'm not some guy just some weird guy just picking him up like he explains what's happening and we go into the food bank still having this three-way conversation and he starts to share his story and and the more he shares and the more he shares he talks about how his his daughter died in Romania and he was offered an opportunity to come to England to work and and to come and earn money here to send back home and the more he talked the more he talked I realized there was a very, very high chance that this guy was a, was a victim of, of human trafficking, that he was a modern-day slave. And then David says to me, hey, the more I'm talking to this guy, I think he might be, I think he might be in slavery, modern-day slavery. And it turns out that he was in debt from being brought over here. And every day now he stands outside where he's supposed to be stood, selling the big issue, which is a legitimate job, by the way. Don't hear what I'm not saying here about the big issue. It's a legitimate job. But the money that he earned from that, the 30 pounds a day, he had to make sure that he paid that every day to his debtors in order that he had somewhere to sleep. And at the end of this week where I'd picked him up, the end of this week, he'd spent a week outside because one day he didn't make his target money and they made him stay outside for a week. And he'd been sleeping around the back of the shops or sleeping, in, sleeping under bush shelters or under under little terraces or whatever, little roofs. And he, was, and he was hungry. He hadn't eaten in a week. He was tired. He was emotionally drained. And he just starts weeping as we talk to him. And I came down. Liz cooked him up a nice hot dinner. Caroline sorted him out with some food to take away. And, um, and he starts eating just as fast as he can. And he doesn't even finish his meal 
and he's just anxious. Like he needs, he needs shoes, he needs clothes, and he's just anxious. Like I, I got to get back to the shop. I'm supposed to be outside the shop selling the magazine. And it was almost like he was so petrified of not being where he was supposed to be. And I put him back in the car, drove him down, and there's just these tears blowing down his face. And he is just so lost, so lonely, so stuck. And um, there are people that you encounter, that you see every day, that are in real, real need. And my guess is that everyone in this room, at some point, has been in a place of need Maybe not, not to the extent of missing meals, maybe not to the extent of being trapped, but a time where you've endured real pain, desperate need of comfort. You've been in a position where you've just needed someone to care. You've needed someone to listen to you, to, to hear you. Needed a shoulder to cry on. Sorry, we've got an issue with the mic. And we go to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We go to other Jesus followers and we share what's going on in our lives. We share, you know, and they say, have you had a good week? And we come to church on Sunday morning, you had a good week? Actually, it's, it's been a hard week. It's been a difficult week. And, and, and what do we get? We've all seen it. We've all experienced it. Oh, it's okay. I'll, I'll pray for you. As they're like walking away. It's all right. I'll, stay there, John. I'll pray for you. You know, anybody experienced that? Yeah, no, nobody, just me. <laughs> but like, we'll pray for you. James is saying, what good's that? What good is it? And as a result, people who've come to the church, whether believers or not, are left delusioned with the church, left hurt and lonely. 1 John 3.17 says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? The Apostle John here and James, they're saying that genuine love, genuine compassion, it reaches out to others. If their faith is real, it produces, it, they can't help themselves, it produces acts of compassion. It produces acts of love and caring and forget about what I need and my needs, I want to care and love for you. Genuine faith, it doesn't sit on the sidelines. It's not passive. It's not apathetic. It's involved and it's active. Then, being this master teacher that James is, he drives home this point with two biblical examples. I'm going to look at them real quick. This inward faith, he talks about these two examples where this inward faith is demonstrated by how they act, their outward actions. And if you read the Bible, you find plenty of examples. But James pulls out these two for a reason, for a purpose. So why does he do that? Why does he pull out these two people? He pulls out Abraham, the father of the Hebrew nation, a man of power, of respect. He's the recipient of God's promises. He, he, he's friends with God. And, and on the other side, on the other side, we see, we see Rahab, who's a Gentile prostitute. She's, she's not an Israelite. She's not a, she's not, um, she doesn't inherit the promises of God. Um, and she's a woman of ill repute, right? She's, she's broken God's moral laws 
And these two people are absolute polar opposites. And I think that's exactly why James uses them. Absolute opposite people. And choosing these two as an example, James has proven a point. He's set this really wide net and he's saying, hey, like whoever's reading this, whether it's, you know, whether it's join in Darlington or whether it's, you know, Abraham himself or, or the Pope, whoever you are, you are somewhere between these two people. And he said, you know, these people, being a Christian, these people, that their faith, it, it, it turned into works. They didn't just believe in this God of love. They acted on it. Um, but I just want to just literally hit the time out for a second. Because some people in the room, whoever is familiar with the letters of Paul, just being around church for a while, you've seen a little bit of a problem pop out of this page. And it's verse 21, James writes, was not Abraham justified by his works? And we're all thinking, hold on a minute, like, are we justified by our works or by our faith? What's, what's going on here? And I want to be really clear on this point. Because like many of us, people have gone, I'm not sure about the book of James. It's a, bit, it's a bit, you know, like we need to work, what's going on? Like I thought I was completely justified. So we're just going to talk about that real quick because we, what we do know is that James has no problem with what Paul's teaching. We read the book of Acts. It's very clear that James fully supports Paul's preaching, um, that we're saved by salvation. Our salvation is received through grace in Jesus alone. So you put your faith in Jesus. In that moment, you are completely forgiven. You are completely made righteous. You are wiped clean. You are born again. You have, the, you have the, the promise of eternity with your heavenly father. Nothing to do with what you do but it's all to do with putting your faith in Jesus, right? Like you believe in your heart, you declare with your mouth, and you are saved, right? Like everybody knows that, amen? Like that's what we believe. So what is James saying? Well, <clears throat> we're going to look at a word, Greek word, dikaio. Everybody said dikaio. We'll do it one more time. Dikaio. Right. Is this Greek word, it means to justify, to justify, to declare righteous. And this is the confusion. Paul uses this word and James uses this word. Exactly, they use it both, but they use it with a completely different meaning. It's the same thing that they're getting at, but with a different meaning, to de declare righteous. And what do we mean by this? Well, Paul is looking at the root, the root of salvation. He's looking at how you are saved, um, that you're saved through your faith in Jesus plus nothing else. On the other side, though, James is looking at the fruit that that salvation brings. There are two sides to this same coin. It's the same word, but two different sides. Paul's saying that you've been justified and made righteous through your faith in Jesus. And James is saying, okay, demonstrate that righteousness for me. So let me just give you a picture here. So, so you're a doctor. Let's say everybody in this room is a doctor, right? Like you can call yourself whatever you like, Dr. Jade, Dr. Sally, whatever, right? Like, and you've got a framed certificate on your wall, right? It's framed, it's signed, it's sealed, it's legitimate. Nothing can change the fact that you are a doctor. That's what Paul's saying. Hey, like you are without a doubt a doctor. You just through your faith in Jesus, right? Just stick with me in this example. But James is saying, hey, I'm really, really pleased that you're a doctor. Okay, go and heal people. Go and diagnose people. Go and treat people. Going, what, what good is it being a doctor if you're not being a doctor? Do you see what I'm saying? Everybody with me on this? Okay. So this is what we're saying here. We need to be doctors, okay, but be followers of Jesus. You, get, you just insert that there, okay. 
So you're with me. James is saying, hey, you are saved by your faith. Now let's live out what it is to be a son, a daughter of a king. Let's live it out. That's what proves that we're saved. Does this make sense? Okay. And when we understand this, this example makes sense about Abraham and Rahab. They were people of faith because of their actions. We know that where they put their faith and their trust, we know where they put their faith and their trust by how they acted, by how they lived their lives, by the actions that they took. We knew where they put their faith and their trust. What does this mean for you this morning? What's my question to you? Do people know where you put your faith and your trust by how you act? I think this year has been a really good year for exposing where we really put our faith and trust. Do we put it in news cycles? Do we put it in governments? Do we put it in science? Where do we put our faith and our trust? James is saying, hey, it shows in the way that we act. If you put your trust in Jesus, it alters the way that you deal with life. I think it's a huge challenge for every one of us. Would people know that you follow Jesus by the way that you conduct yourself, by how you speak, by how you care for people, by how you give your money? I said at the beginning, it can be really hard at times to follow Jesus. And there's so many reasons for showing that outwardly all the time, isn't there? Talked about, you know, peer pressure in school. Like we don't want to be embarrassed in front of our friends. Like even at work, some of us like hide it from our coworkers because we don't want them to laugh at us or, or to be embarrassed by the jokes that they make about us. Let me just say that Jesus, our Savior, was willing to leave his heavenly throne and to be humiliated publicly, naked and ashamed for you. You might worry about your inability. God, like, I don't know if I can do what you're asking me to do. I don't know if I'm the right person because that person seems a lot better at that job. Why don't you ask them? Jesus promises that through him, all things are possible. He even said that his followers would do even greater things than he had done. It's nothing to do with what you can bring to the table. It's everything to do with what he brings. He's simply asking us to be obedient. Jesus is calling you to trust him, to follow him, and to love the people around you. So what is it in your life that you know just doesn't reflect him? What is it in your life that you just know doesn't reflect what you believe? It doesn't prove what you believe. Maybe it's how you give. Maybe it's how you speak. Maybe it's how you lie. Maybe it's how you cheat. Maybe it's even a silly example like mine in sport. But the way that we act, the way that we behave, it should always reflect in where we put our faith and trust and our identity in Christ. So what is it that you need to change? What is it that the Holy Spirit's just gonna come and lovingly convict you of? John 21, 
verse 15 says, when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He says, yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Jesus asked him for the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Just that conversation that I had with my friend, a three-way conversation between David and myself and him. You know what started the tears? As we were talking, um, David was translating for us over the phone. And I just felt so prompted that this man who was stuck, trapped, lost, felt so prompted to ask David to tell him that God hadn't forgotten him. There are so many people around us out there who just need to hear this morning, who need to hear this week in your workplace that God hasn't forgotten them. And our job is to go and feed and take care of his people, to love on them. We need to go. Let's just pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to depend on our own strength to be changed, to look more like you, Lord. We just need to be willing and open to you moving in our lives, open to you working in us and through us, to love and care for those most in need, most in want. Lord, I just pray right now for every single person in here, of the places where you're convicting us, of where, Lord, we know that we don't reflect you. We, don't, we know we don't reflect our true identity as sons and daughters of the King. And Lord, I pray that you would bring conviction and the power to change that in the name of Jesus. As Graham started this morning, there is power in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we say, Lord, the things in our lives where we know we're not reflecting you, Lord, we, we declare the name of Jesus over it. And we say, Lord, I know you have the power to help me change that to look more like you. But Lord, would I look more like you so that I can work at bringing heaven to earth, whether that's just in my family, my home situation, whether that's in the people that I engage in in the street, whether that's in, at work or at school, wherever, wherever it is that I'm going on a Monday, Lord, would you just help me to reflect you better? Would people see what I believe and where I put my faith and my trust by the way that I act and the way that I react to situations? The way that I care and the way that I love those who are most in need. I thank you, Lord, that you love us and that you did it all for us. You, you, went to the, you lived and you went to the cross and you rose again. And Lord, we want to share that good news through the way that we love from people, the way that we care for people. 
Yeah, we just pray us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.